Hello, you are listening to Getting After Lefty, starring Gary Gatehouse, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have good questions on the show, like... Uh, Mr. Obama, sir, I have a, just a quick question, if I can. Um, I was wondering, you know, just uh, where... Uh, where the hell is your birth certificate? Yeah, here it is, Monday, and you're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Monday edition. Getting after Lefty. It's a beautiful day down here in South Texas, about 70 degrees. Can't complain for January. Hope you folks up there on the East Coast are uh, kind of uh, getting yourself all together and uh, digging out from that massive snowstorm. My gosh, 20 plus inches. Wherever you look, man, that's something, isn't it? I know you folks had the whole weekend to kind of hold up in your houses or apartments or wherever you uh, hang your hat up there on the East Coast. And uh, I'm sure by Monday today you were getting a big dose of cabin fever wanting to get the hell out of your house or apartment and do something anyway. Dig your car out or take a walk, walk the dog, do something. You know, I feel sorry for you folks. Down here in South Texas, I, I don't try to rub it in, but like I said, today it's about 70 degrees. Sunshine, beautiful day. We don't see snow down here. No problem. Maybe all you conservatives, ones that are left up here on the East Coast, maybe you ought to pack your bags and head south. Get the hell out of the East Coast. You know, ladies and gentlemen, segueing into the East Coast, Us folks out here in South, us folks in the flyover country, us folks west of the Mississippi and some east of the Mississippi, we all know that the media controls all the information that gets out to the great unmorsed, we the people. They put that media together, they put it together, and collectively they call it the news. Whether it be the news coming from NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, or Fox News, or the New York Times, or the Washington Post, it's all the news according to them. And all the publications, for the most part, that people read, namely one like the National Review, are generated and come from the East Coast. The East Coast sets up there all those political hacks and pundits, all those folks who claim to be in the know and know what is good for all of us in America, dictate to us time after time what we, the people, away from the East Coast should believe. We should buy in to what the East Coast hacks and political pundits believe. All those folks who are rubbing elbows with a, with a politically correct and political uh, class folks down there in Washington, D.C., namely your Washington's senators and House of Representative pukes, all political whores, every one of them. You know, I've said many times on my show that Congress is the biggest political whorehouse in the world, and it is. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, Who are the pimps of all these guys that hang around up in Congress and call themselves senators or House of Representatives type folks that are out there representing we the people? We the people have caught on or not, but who are their pimps? People like National Review. 
People like mainstream media, ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox News, they are the pimps. They are the ones that spread the gospel of East Coast politics, which for years has been disguised when it comes out of the White House, depending on who's in there, and comes out of Congress, been disguised as we know the best. For you folks out there that uh, just don't have too much going for you. Oh, you toothless hillbillies west of the Mississippi. You folks just don't know what's in, man. You're not in touch with what's going down. And we're going to tell you how to believe, when to believe, where to believe it. And if you don't do it, if you don't sign on to what we say and dictate to you, or anybody you believe in, politically, then we're going to bring them down, man, because they're getting into our stuff. But you know, folks, i got to ask a question here of all you conservatives out there. This all plays into the same thing. got to ask a question to all you conservatives out there. Just what is a conservative? Just what is a conservative? Is there a hardcore, hard-set, set-in-concrete definition? Well, according to Webster... Conservatives are believing are those who believe in the value of established and traditional practices in politics and society relating to or supporting political political conservatism. Conservative of or relating to the conservative party in countries like United States or uh, United Kingdom, not liking or accepting changes or new ideas. Constituting a political party professing the principles of conservatism. Tending or disposed to maintain existing views, conditions, or institutions. Marked by moderation or caution. Marked by or relating to traditional forms or norms of taste, elegance, style, or manners. That's what Webster says when defining what conservatism is. Webster says that a conservative never bends, never changes from one decade to another. It's all set in stone. It's all just one thing, one guideline, and we have to sit and stand by it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, conservatives are the people of America. This is Gary Gatehouse's definition of conservatism. The one that I live. It might not be your ba- uh, ball of wax, but it's mine. I'm a conservative because I love my country. I believe in a constitution. I love my family. I love my grandchildren. I want future generations to have the same benefits uh, according to the constitution Freedom of speech, uh, freedom uh, uh, to practice what the Constitution lays out. I love the military. And I love all individuals who are American and patriotic and stand up and are proud of their country. That's what I consider conservatism. Now I can put in a few little caveats to that. I'm a pro-life person. I believe in the sanctity of life. I'm a Christian. Those are two of the main caveats of what I said I believe in or what a conservative is, according to Gary Gatehouse. Now, you or somebody else who says they're conservative might differ in a few things 
that I just said. You might look at him from a different light. But you still consider yourself a conservative. Based on whatever values you have. You know you're not a liberal. You know you're a conservative because you have four or five or two or three of those things I just mentioned. Now, according to Town Hall, according to Town Hall, this is the way they see conservatives. This is the way they see them. Conservatives believe that judges should act like umpires instead of legislating from the bench. That means that judges should determine whether laws are permissible under the Constitution and settle debates about the meaning of laws, not impose their will based on their ideological leanings. Liberals, on the other hand, view judges as a backdoor method of getting unpopular left-leaning legislation passed. They don't want umpires. They want political partisans in black robes who will side with them first and then come up with a rational Rationale to explain it. Conservatives believe that individual... Now listen to that. Please listen to these. Number 10. Conservatives believe that individual Americans have a right to defend themselves and their families with guns and that right cannot be taken away by any method short of a constitutional amendment which conservatives would oppose. Now who has come out in favor of the Second Amendment. Who has argued it for the Second Amendment? Will all the people up on the stage have on the political side, including Donald Trump? But oh, as when it comes to the Second Amendment and liberals, well, they believe by taking arms away from law-abiding citizens, they can prevent criminals who aren't going to abide by uh, gun laws from using guns in the commission of crimes. That's the way liberals look at the Second Amendment. Number nine, conservatives believe that they that we should live in a colorblind society where every individual is judged on the content of his character and the merits of his action. All the people up on the stage that are vying for that nomination on the Republican side believe in that statement, including Donald Trump. On the other hand, liberals believe it's okay to discriminate based on race as long as it's primarily benefits or benefits minority groups. That's the difference between a conservative and a liberal on that issue, race issues, etc. Number eight, conservatives are capitalist. Conservatives are capitalist and believe that entrepreneurs who amass great wealth through their own efforts are good for the country and shouldn't be punished for being successful. I'm sure everyone up on that stage that is vying for the nomination from the Republican Party to run for the White House, including Donald Trump, we know, believes in that. He is a successful businessman, an entrepreneur, and he is very proud of himself, which he should be. And Americans have no problem with Donald Trump and his success, except some who call themselves conservatives. Now, liberals are socialists who view successful business owners as people who cheated the system somehow or got lucky. That's why they don't respect high achievers and see them, see them as little more than piggy banks for their programs. And that is true. That is a true, very true statement when it comes to capitalist and socialist. Capitalist most 
of them reside in the Republican Party. Socialists, most if not all, reside in the Democrat Progressive Party. You know, ladies and gentlemen of America, when you think about all the things that we as Americans believe in, we Americans that are proud of our country, and I'm not saying that the people on some people on the left aren't proud of their country. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying conservatives, they are more proud of their country. They love their country. They stand up for their country. They don't want anybody messing with their country, including people uh, who reside in Congress, including fellow Americans like Obama. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when this gang of 22 come out with that big uh, front page deal on uh, National Review magazine and made the statements by each individual, each all 22 of them made a statement why they signed on to that uh, uh, whatever you want to call it. They, they, they're shallow. They're shallow people, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't support any of them. I used to really like Thomas Sowell. I really used to like listening to him and what he had to say when it came to politics, when it came to race issues, when it came to all kinds of issues. But Mr. Soul, you've lost, you've lost me, sir. When you signed on with that other 21 hyenas that the National Review put on the front page or the front cover of their magazine and went after Mr. Donald Trump, words flying around like Hitler and words flying around that we conservatives don't really appreciate. You lost me, Mr. Soul. You lost me. Glenn Beck, you're showing your ignorance, man. You're showing your stupidity, man. I don't give a damn who you underwrite or stand by, Mr. Cruz, whoever. He's a good man. But to come out and make some of the statements you're saying about if we don't elect Mr. Ted Cruz, my grandchildren and my children, I fear for their well-being. Where are you getting that from, Mr. Beck? You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show Monday edition. The Getting After Lefty Show. And I'm going to get after Lefty. And I want to get some on the right who claim to be righties. But I don't know if they really are. We'll be back after the Phyllis Shafley Report. Stand by. Welcome to the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Mrs. Schlafly is founder and CEO of Ego Forum, a leading force in the pro-family movement since 1972. And now, here's Mrs. Schlafly. After Donald Trump called for a database of Muslim immigrants, Dr. Ben Carson said, we should have a database on everybody who comes in this country. I want to know where they came from. I want to know where they're going and why they're here. Databases do exist, but as Trump said, our government lacks good management procedures to ensure that visitors to our country follow the law. It's estimated that half of the 11 million illegal aliens failed to leave when their time was up, even though they are on a government database. 
It's ludicrous to think that our government could effectively screen refugees from Syria or from any Muslim country. Consider some of the following security breaches that were reported in just one week after the Paris attacks last November. On November 14th, three Syrian men were stopped in the Caribbean island of St. Martin after arriving on a flight from Haiti. Using fake Greek passports, they had already flown from Europe to Brazil, then to the Dominican Republic, then Haiti. Three days later, five more young men were detained in Honduras, also using stolen Greek passports. They were on their way to the United States through Mexico. On November 16th, six young men, five from Pakistan and one from Afghanistan, crossed illegally from Mexico into Arizona near Tucson. Sheriff Paul Babu warns that terrorists are using well-established smuggling routes to come across the border. On November 19th, eight tough-looking young men from Morocco were arrested at the airport at Istanbul, claiming to be tourists, but carrying maps and directions to Germany. Turkish authorities believe the men were being smuggled by ISIS to join the fight in Europe on behalf of the Muslim Caliphate. Tell your elected public officials to just say no to Syrian refugees. For up-to-date information on why amnesty and guest worker plans are mistakes and on how illegal immigration makes U.S. taxpayers pay heavy additional costs for schools, hospitals, Medicaid, prisons, and all social benefits, write Eagle Forum Radio, Alton, Illinois, 62002. Ask for Immigration Facts or visit our website, eagleforum.org. That's eagleforum.org. Then join us daily for more on the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You are listening to the sound of the heartbeat of an unborn baby just 28 days after conception. Every day, more than 3,000 abortions are performed in this country, and each abortion stops the heartbeat of a living unborn baby. Since 1973, the annual number of abortions has gone from approximately 750,000 a year to just under 1.3 million. Abortion isn't rare or safe, only legal. Legalized abortion on demand has taken the lives of more than 50 million unborn children and left those women who have had abortions more vulnerable to physical, mental, and emotional complications. We at National Right to Life are working to break this cycle. We are working for the day when both mother and child will be welcomed, loved, and protected. Won't you help us? This has been a Perspective on Life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website, nrlc.org. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on freedominamerica.us. Tune in 24-7 to listen to Gary. Now you folks, all you cowboys and cowgirls up there in uh, Fort Worth and Dallas, this song's for you, and I guess include, that includes Glenn Beck and his two yokels that sit on either side of him when he's doing his radio show. Oh, Fort Worth, man, just ain't no good for jealous. I tried at night after night. Oh, my God. 
All you cowboys up here in Dallas and Fort Worth are hiding out from your ex, running away from whatever squeeze you was talking sugar to over the week, and I hope you've got a nice warm place to stay. Get out on the floor, do a little Texas swing here. All you cowboys make dang sure you don't step on anybody's toe with them big ass boots. You left me here to be with him in Dallas. And I know it hurts. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Getting After Lefty, Monday edition, coming all the way from the deep boonies of South Texas, broadcasting to the world on the GAL Network. That's right, folks, boonies. I live so far out in the boonies, they had to pipe in sunlight. Now, folks, getting back, getting back to what we were talking about, what conservatives are, let's visit number seven. Conservatives believe that abortion ends the life of an innocent child, and since we believe that infanticide is wrong, we oppose abortion. Indeed, we do. Indeed, we do. I'm a... I'm a pro-life person, and I stand by it. But there are conservatives out there that believe what I just said, that abortion ends the life of an innocent child, and since we believe that emphasize is wrong, we oppose abortion. But there are conservatives who oppose abortion, but also say the government has got its fingers in the pie and dictating to women about abortion. They have the right, Roe v. Wade, regardless of what you think about it, I hate it. I oppose the whole concept of abortion. And I will not stand by and not speak out. But there are people who call themselves conservatives, call themselves Christians, who oppose the whole concept of abortion, but then they go to the other side of the equation and say, I oppose abortion wholeheartedly. I don't believe in it. But I don't believe I have the right to dictate to a woman if she can have an abortion or not. That's between her, her maker. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, there are individuals that even believe that way. I know of two individuals that used to attack me almost daily 
when I talked about abortion and the staunch stand I took. Abortion is wrong, it's murder in the womb, and I do not support it in any way, shape, or, or form, and Roe v. Wade can go to hell. That's my stand on it. And I'm a conservative. I know two individuals that said the same thing I did with a caveat, but a woman has the right to make her own choice. They came around. After many years of we arguing back and forth, and don't I'm not saying that I converted their way of thinking. They came around after many years and said, you know what? You're right. You're right, Gary. Under no circumstance, except in the life of a mother, should there be any consideration for an abortion. And there's a couple of other caveats people throw in there too, who are conservative in a case of rape or incest. They throw that in there. Some Christians even stand with that. Some Christians who are staunch Christians. Now, I've argued against them. I said, you can't have it both ways. Now, I watched an interview the other day with Mr. Donald Trump, and they hit him on that very uh, issue, abortion. Where do you stand today? I'm against it. I've always been against it. I've always said that I do not sign onto the concept of abortion. I do not support it. Even when he was out there, and I guess people were considering him a pseudo-liberal or whatever, he said, even then, back in those interviews, I do not support abortion. I do not believe in the concept, what it stands for. Now, we all know the Bible says people can change their mind. People can be uh, convinced otherwise. People can be shown what... For instance, abortion, what it does to a family, what it does to the mother, etc. And they eventually, maybe some of them come around to believing, such as I do, I'm pro-life. Now, if everybody signed on to the same staunch, hardcore, down-the-line, ticket-all-the-boxes-off as somebody laid out what a conservative is, we would be what a lot of people say Rush listeners are. Mind-numbed robots. God gave us all a brain. God gave us all the ability to take what we know, whether it be based on common sense, whatever, do our own analysis, form our opinion, and stand by it. Whether it be an issue of abortion, Second Amendment rights, whatever. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, when you talk about abortion, Mr. Donald Trump has said he does not believe in abortion. It is wrong. Now, in the past, he made the same statement with a caveat. Right to choice. That was him in the past. Now, most liberals, despite what they will tell you, believe that abortion ends the life of an innocent child, but they prefer killing a baby to inconveniencing the mother. That's the way liberals look at it when you talk about abortion. It's a matter of convenience or inconvenience. And they look at the child as nothing more, in the womb as nothing more, a lot of them have said, nothing more than a parasite, a hunk of meat. To me, that is is beyond inhumane to even have a mindset like that. 
Do you think Donald Trump thinks that way? No. Mr. Trump, and I repeat, has said he does not believe in abortion. It is wrong. Now, in the past, he has made the same statement with a caveat, right to choice. Since then, he has changed and came around. And there's nothing wrong with that. People do it all the time, depend on whatever issue. Now, if we, if we look at uh, number six, conservatives believe in confronting and defeating the enemies of the United States before they can harm American citizens. Donald Trump has said since day one that he loves the military. He's going to build the strongest military the United States has ever seen. He believes in confronting the enemy. And he believes in the American people. And he will build a military to protect the American citizens. Liberals, on the other hand, believe in using law enforcement, law enforcement measures to deal with terrorism, which means that they feel we should allow terrorists to train, plan, and actually attempt to kill Americans before we try to arrest them. As if you can just send the police around, you know, to pick up a few terrorists here or there or a terrorist mastermind hiding in Iran or the wilds of Pakistan. Just send some police out from New York or somewhere. Send them over to Iran and Pakistan and knock on the door. I've got a warrant here. i got a warrant uh, here to arrest you. You're a terrorist and we're going to bring you back to New York and prosecute you. Boom! Wham! There goes your head. You know, ladies and gentlemen, but that's the way liberals think. Donald Trump doesn't think that way. We visit number five. Conservatives, but not necessarily Republicans believe it is vitally important to the future of the country to reduce the size of the government, keep taxes low, balance the budget, and get this country out of debt. How many times has Donald Trump repeated those almost same words in debates on the uh, political Trump uh, on the uh, political campaign trail? How many times has he said, I want to re- reduce the size of government, introduce a new way of taxation, lower it, balance the budget, and get this country out of debt. He says, I will do these things. I will get jobs back in America. You can't deny he hasn't said that. Now, liberals and Democrats, for the matter, believe in big government, high taxes, and they have never met a new spending program they didn't like, whether we will have to go into debt to pay for it or not. They don't care. Borrow from China, borrow from whoever. Get that damn money and spend it, by God. Donald Trump is a businessman. If he operated his business the way liberals and really a lot of Republicans do in Congress, he would be broke or been broke a long time ago. He's a capitalist. He knows how to make deals, and he says that every day. Liberals, Democrats, some conservatives, and a whole lot of Republicans in Congress, they don't know how to make a a deal unless they're dealing with each other tapping each other on the two-tube behind closed doors just to keep both of their asses in power. That's the deals they cut. You know, ladies and gentlemen of America, if you look at the the whole crux of the matter, when this gang of 22 went after Donald Trump, and they said that all all this rhetoric they spewed, all the things that they said about Donald Trump, none of it holds water. None of it. 
And I'm proving it right now. Number four, conservatives believe that government, by its very nature, tends to be inefficient, incompetent, wasteful, and power hungry. That's why we believe that the government that governs least governs best. Donald Trump has said that. That the people in Congress are stupid. And he meant it. And they are. And he knows the American people are sick and tired of the people in Congress kicking us down the road. Sick and tired of the people in Congress spending all of our hard-earned tax money and sticking our hand out and wanting more. And he said he is going to switch that around. He's going to turn that around. He's going to get America out of that ditch and back on the main road. But if you look how liberals think about that, they think that the solution to every problem is another government program. Even when those new programs create new problems, often worse than the ones that were being fixed in the first place, the solution is always, you guessed it, another program. I don't think Donald Trump will march to that tune. He can't run a business. He can't run a a successful business that he has built based on things like that. Number three, conservatives are patriotic. Believe that America is a great nation and are primarily interested in looking looking out for the good of the country. That's why we believe in America exceptionalism. America first. How many times has Donald Trump said America is great and he's going to make it great again, even better? Because we have to admit, after eight years of Barack Hussein Obama Jr. and his ilk, we have to admit that the left and Obama and his Marxist socialist progressive ideas have almost destroyed this country. Put this country in such a situation that it's going to take a hard-nosed individual that knows how to make deals, knows how to hold people's feet to the fire, and won't take no for an answer, or he insists this is the way it's going to be, and by God, that's the way it's going to be. He knows best. He's operated big businesses. He is a successful person. Ladies and gentlemen, what more could you ask for? Time after time, he has said, that he loves this country. And he is dropping everything, or has dropped everything, business-wise. He's turned it over to his family to help America out. He's not going to accept a paycheck from the people of America. He's not uh, accepting any money from any uh, companies or whatever. He's paying his own campaign money. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at that whole scenario that surrounds Donald Trump and how he's going about things, then you look at the rest of the people who are running for the nomination on the Republican side. There's a whole wealth of difference there. A whole wealth of difference. It's so blatantly out there for us all to see. And the American people love what Trump has said, what he stands for, and what he's going to do. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, before we go any further, just think of this. Mr. Trump has worked decades in establishing himself in the business arena, internationally, built companies, made money, 
lost money, came back and made more money? But do you honestly think that a man, say, if he lost the election or after he uh, occupies the White House for four years or eight years and goes back to business, do you honestly think if he is up there now lying to the American people on what he's saying, do you honestly think that he's going to jeopardize his word, his clout as a businessman to get up there and lie to the American people and hoodwink them? There's nothing in for him monetarily except he can lose these businesses. If he doesn't come through with his promises to the American people, I can, I can hear business people now. I don't want to do business with that guy. He goes back on his word. He doesn't say, he says one thing and does another. I don't want to do any business with him. Do you think Donald Trump wants to get that kind of notoriety out there in front of the international and the national business folks? Not just for him, but for his family that will run the business that probably long after Donald's gone? No, I don't think so. So he's going to go at it one way. He's going to go after it in a way that is going to get America out of the ditch. Back on the main road. Get us solvent again as a nation economically. Get jobs back in the United States of America. Get America rolling again. Get it out of the doldrums of socialism and political correctness, which, by the way, Donald Trump is not politically correct. He is there running for office of the president for one reason and one reason only. To put America back on the top of the heap. The nation above all nations. Why? Because he loves America. We'll be right back after a few short messages. Hey, this is Tex Officer down here in Texas. When I'm not rocking the house, I like to listen to Gary Gatehouse. Gary is exposing the liberal socialist agenda. He is kicking liberals' asses and taking names. You keep it up, Gary. We're growing like a big old army. Liberty Council is a litigation, education, and policy organization established to preserve and advance religious freedom, the sanctity of human life, and the family. We have offices in various places around the United States and affiliate attorneys in all 50 states, plus a major outreach in the nation of Israel. Don't get discouraged about what's happening in our country and around the world. Get encouraged. Get on your knees in prayer and get involved. Stand with us in preserving our Judeo-Christian values. Visit lc.org. Pastor Saeed enjoying freedom in America. Hi, I'm Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about this next on Freedom's Call. After three years of prison and torture, now Pastor Saeed Abedini is free from Iran and has returned to America to reunite with his family. He went to Iran to help build a government-approved orphanage, but because he had converted from Islam to Christianity, he was picked up off a bus and condemned to eight years in prison. Millions prayed, lobbied, and demanded his freedom as an American citizen. We rejoice with the many groups and organizations that fought for his release. Pastor Saeed was a strong witness in the prison, evangelizing the guards and fellow prisoners during his incarceration and abuse. No matter what his situation, he was used by God to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit lc.org. In Congress, in the courtroom, and in your community, Liberty Council is advancing life, liberty, and the family. Log on to lc.org. 
Hey, this is Gary Gatehouse, and I'd like to give you a hot flash here. Trade Martin, that's right, Trade Martin, famous producer, famous music writer, now has his own radio show on Sunday morning. That's right, Big Dog Radio. And you can get him on Big Dog Radio, blogtalkradio.com. Don't forget, every Sunday morning, 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Getting After Lefty, Monday edition on freedominamericaradio.com. Listen to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on freedominamericaradio.com every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be there when we get after Lefty. You know, we were talking about how people can change. And if you just listen to that last segment about the Reverend Siad, Siad, or however you pronounce his name, a converted Muslim to Christian, a Christian preacher, if you will, who waded back into the fire and went back to the Middle East to build orphanages as a Christian pastor and was captured by the Iranians and held prisoner, stuck with his faith. He went from a Muslim to a Christian. Now, if we can believe that, and he has shown that we should believe that, then why are we having such problems, some of us, not all of us, with the fact that Donald Trump could change in some of the issues he once believed in to some of the things he now says he has changed and believes a different way. Why is it so hard? Is Why is it so hard for America to accept one guy that did something, converted from Muslim to Christian, then why is it so hard to believe Donald Trump? Is because all the media out there is telling you not to believe Donald Trump? Yeah, I think that's so. I think that's so. Just like the gang of 22. A bunch of nobodies, really. Who tried to dictate to us how we, as Christians, how we as conservatives should think conservatives should be. According to them. No other way. According to them. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at number two here in this whole list of things about conservatives... Conservatives, most of them anyway, believe in God and think that the Constitution has been twisted by liberal judges, illegitimately, of course, trying to purge Christianity from the public square. We see this all the time in the news. We know that to be true. We also believe, most of us anyway, that this country has been successful in large part because it is a good Christian nation, and if our country ever turns away from the Lord, it will cease to prosper. Donald Trump believes in that. He said he's proud of his Christian religion. He's a Presbyterian. He believes in Christian religion. How can anybody that pays attention to Donald Trump or otherwise accuse him of lying on that issue? But liberals, on the other hand, most of them anyway, are hostile to Christianity. That's why whether you're talking about a school play at a Christmas time get-together, a judge putting the Ten Commandments on the wall of his court, or a store employee saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays, liberals are dedicated to driving reminders of Christianity from polite society. Away. They don't want nothing to do with Christianity. 
You see, the secularists, for the most part, reside in the liberal neck of the woods. But that's not saying all secularists are liberals. There are liberals that call themselves Republicans. And there probably are secularists who are Republican, or at least sign on to the idea of secularism. You know, folks, if you look at the whole scheme of things, when you try to hang ideas, policies, how people respond to issues, etc., on an individual based on what you think they should say or not say, based on what you believe in, they should believe in. I was that way for a long time. But I've come to realize that being a conservative, we are not stiff-necked. We are not hardcore stiff and do not bend or, or, or give or at least consider little bitty options to being a conservative. Little other ways that conservatives express themselves or their mindset. As long as you can check off the main boxes and you can say that you're a patriot, you love America, you believe in Christianity, you love your military, you love the family way of life, you love the, the, the traditional family, you're not for some of the things like same-sex marriage and all this other crap, then you are, for the most part, a conservative. Because everything you believe in, the boxes you check, check off, the liberals erase those checks. They believe in, disbelieve in all those things. That's how we dif- differentiate ourselves when we call ourselves liberal or conservative. We both know what each other stands for, more or less. And the number one thing, conservatives believe in pursuing policies because they're pragmatic and because they work. Donald Trump has said this many times. He believes in pursuing policies that are for the betterment of the people of America. He loves the people of America. He loves America. He hasn't done wrong when it comes to operating his businesses as a capitalist under the American way of life. He has achieved much. But he knows damn damn well he couldn't have done that in China. He couldn't have done that in North Vietnam. He couldn't have done it in some Western uh, countries. America has afforded him all the things he needed to achieve his dreams and continue pursuing new ones. That's the way America is. That's the way conservatives believe. They believe in pursuing policies because they're pragmatic and because they work. Liberals believe in pursuing policies because they're nice and make them feel good. Warm and fuzzy, if you will. Whether the policies they're advocating actually work or not is of secondary importance to them. The bottom line, it makes them feel good, whatever they believe in. But you know, folks, there are some people that call themselves conservatives who think that what they dictate to us as being a conservatives, we should all adhere to. This thing, the National Review... It rounded up a couple of dozen conservatives to denounce Mr. Donald Trump and tell the world what it already knows. Trump is not a movement conservative. But it has to be pointed out that the movement conservatives have had little or no effect in presidential contests since way back in 1984. And that election 
in which Donald, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan was won, it was a landslide. And it was an, an inevitably because of the force of nature, he represented it as a great candidate and a great incumbent for four years. Now, some of the gang of twenty-two, we can't, we can't, we can't say otherwise. We uh, we can't say these Trump denouncers. We can't say they were not there for Reagan. Some of them were, but most were not. Many or most of them, however, were there for the losers the Republicans put up in the last two election cycles. And let me quickly point out that neither John McCain nor Mitt Romney were conservatives. Not at all. They were movement conservatives or otherwise. They were both hostile to conservatives. McCain called conservatives wacko birds. Mitt Romney, he was a moderate, if you will. He was not a true conservative. They hated conservatives. So were the denunciations of McCain and Romney in 2008 and 2012 primaries from the National Review. That, that crowd and the Trump-hating friends, they did denounce these folks. But you know, not to put it too fine a point on it, the National Review has been something of an irrelevancy since the earthly departures of that guy we, some of us know, William F. Buckley and Bill Rusher, the brains of the operation. Back then, even those two guys really didn't have that much of an impact when the average, everyday conservative, most of uh, conservatives didn't even know who in the hell Buckley was. You know, folks, it's, uh, I guess it's pointless to trash a National Review. Its circulation and readership tells a story. It's it's about finished. You know, Donald Trump is a man of the hour. He's a man of the day. He's the man of the year. He's going to be the man of eight years. He's going to put this country back on the main road. He's going to get it out of the ditch. We folks who pay attention to what he says, what he does, we folks who know that Mr. Donald Trump will do what he says he's going to do, Oh, by the way, that last piece I was talking about, that was written by Mr. Joseph Farr, World Net Daily. But I have to say this before we get to the top of the hour. And I have to say this to my fellow patriots, my conservative patriots. One thing is for sure. One thing is for sure. National Review publication, The Gang of 22, The Anti-Donald Trump Missives, 22 self-appointed so-called conservatives think they can speak for all of us, we who call ourselves conservatives. We are not tainted by the inside of the Beltway virus that thinks that they can dictate to we the people not just what conservatism is, but what we should and should not believe. They control the mainstream media, and we who pay attention know the mainstream media is controlled by a higher authority, and it damn sure is not conservative. These 22, for the most part, are nothing more than East Coast political hacks. Their little smug world of we know everything has been turned over by Donald Trump. The whole Inside the Beltway, Washington, D.C. gang, whose have been blown apart. Their whole world has been blown apart by Mr. Donald Trump. And the political elite can't stand it. Their voice is becoming more and more faint. Their voice is falling on deaf ears. And all I can say is keep it up, Mr. Donald Trump. Keep it up. You have hit a nerve that is resonating through, throughout the political elite's arena. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. 
Monday edition. And I had to devote the first hour to getting all that off my chest. Because when I seen the Gang of Eight, or excuse me, I keep saying Gang of Eight. I guess Rubio stuck in my mind. When I keep seeing the Gang of 22 up on the on the computer screen and on that front cover of uh, NR and the names that are on there, I look at those names and I think to myself, those people live in a tiny little microcosm of a world. They revolve, everything that revolves around them is their narcissistic view of each other and their narcissistic view of how they believe American conservatives should be. They are the all-knowing, all-seeing individuals and they know everything that comes out of their mind collectively is how we should sign on to. We should sign on to it and believe it. I got news for him. I have no no good thing to say about him. So clueless is the gang of 22. They can't even see how they've stumbled right into the narrative Trump's been communicating so successfully for months. Just like the elected officials from both parties, the gang of 22 has been great at complaining about stuff year after year after year. But getting anything accomplished... I don't think so. I don't think so. But you know, Congress, and I made a little poster up here a while back, a, ba- a banner that so shows Sergeant Rock. You've probably seen it up on Twitter if you follow me on Twitter. This little banner shows Sergeant Rock, and it says, Congress is constantly blowing smoke up America's ass. I don't believe a damn thing they say. Those were the words of Gary Gatehouse. Those are the words of Gary Gatehouse. And all the pundits, all the hacks, political, all the political pimps and all the political whores that live inside the Beltway, walk the hollowed halls of Congress, walk the hollowed halls of the Washington Post, National Review, etc., 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 they are the political pimps for the whores, the political whores that try to dictate to we the people each and every day how we should live, how much money we should give them, etc., etc. And the American people have finally said, we've had enough of this crap. We don't want anything to do with Congress. We don't want anything to do with their lies. We don't want anything to do with their promises. They promise black people. They've been promising black people for decades that they're going to help them. And all you black folks out there, take time out to look where your most of your black brothers and sisters are. They're still in the ghetto, still uneducated, 40 to 45% of black youth unemployed, and everybody's blaming it on Obama. That's been going on for years. Obama's a big part of it. The Democrat Party is the major part of it, but the Republicans have some cash in the bucket, if you will, as well. And these people like National Review and other periodicals and all the mainstream media, etc., they are all on board to perpetuate what Congress has been trying to stick up our kazoo for decades. They tell us what the news is, how it is, who's doing this and who's doing what, and it's always based, mainstream media, it's always based on protecting the elitist because they are the mainstream media 
the propaganda arm of the mainstream media elitists, the Democrat and the Republican Party. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, and we will be back after the five-minute news. We will be back with vengeance. We have a lot more to talk about today. So stand by. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Show. Gary will be back after the Fox 5-Minute News break. Please stand by. Radio. I'm Lisa Lissera. The day got well underway in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic after record-setting snowfall. At least 28 deaths blamed on the storm, including an elderly couple found dead in their Greenville, South Carolina home due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Authorities say they lost power Friday night and set up a generator in their garage. New York City has lifted its travel ban, but as night falls, temperatures will drop again. Governor Andrew Cuomo. If it is essential travel... Uh, necessary travel, that's one thing. Uh, But uh, if you do not need to be on the roads, you shouldn't be on the roads because there still are dangerous spots. There are still spots with black ice. Over 3,500 flights canceled due to the storm. The snow and wind weren't the only problems with this storm flooding along the coast. Big problem, Margate, New Jersey, hit hard. The mayor here says the problem is the lack of a seawall for the bay. He says the ocean side of the island has a great deal more protection. And as bad as the flooding was here, it was worse in other cities, especially a number of locations further south. North Wildwood, New Jersey, got hit especially hard. The mayor there said the high tide was greater, listen to this, greater than Superstorm Sandy. He also said the floodwaters in North Wildwood reached as high as five feet. Fox's David Lee Miller, the U.S. Geological Survey, saying the earthquake that rattled southern Alaska early this morning could be followed by aftershocks for weeks. No injuries reported in the magnitude 7.1 quake. The price of gas down 14 cents over the past two weeks to 191 a gallon. In the lower 48 panel of cities, Tulsa is the low, $1.48 for a regular grade, and the high is Los Angeles again, $2.80. Analyst Trilby Lundberg with the Lundberg Survey. You're listening to Fox News Radio, fair and balanced. Real experience, real insight. We're following this explosive story. Nothing gets by Greta. Then. This is all BS. What was that all about? There's no spin and no question. O'Reilly dominates. Plus, smart, sharp, and cutting edge. It's the news of the day, but with a little heat. Megan delivers. And Sean seals the deal with fearless talk. What part of that are you understanding? Most watched. Most trusted. Fox News Channel. There's more to Fox News Radio than meets the ear. Go behind the headlines and join the conversation on the hottest stories of the day on the Fox News Radio Facebook page. Be a part of the Fox News Radio Facebook fan community. Post comments and tell us your opinions. See behind-the-scenes photos and videos and post your reactions to the stories that matter to you. Click the like button on Facebook and connect with breaking news and features like Fox in the Fast Lane, House Call for Help, and more. Go to Facebook.com slash Fox News Radio. 
Republican presidential candidate Marco Rubio gaining momentum a little over a week before the Iowa caucuses. Rubio now has in his pocket the backing of Iowa's largest newspaper, the Des Moines Register. On Fox News Sunday, he called that the affirmation that our campaign is a serious campaign about solving the problems before this country. Rubio has also been a target of attack ads on the trail more than any other Republican. He sees that as a positive as well. We are a campaign that is gaining momentum and support. And obviously other candidates view that as a threat, and so they're responding. Rubio is polling at 12% in Iowa, well behind Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. In Newark, New Jersey, Grinnell Scott, Fox News. Republican frontrunner Donald Trump spending time in Iowa today, going to church this morning. Religious voters a big factor in next Monday's caucuses. The Zika virus continues to be a threat in Latin America and some Caribbean islands. The mosquito-carried infection blamed for thousands of birth defects. Healthcare officials both in the U.S. and Brazil are positive that Zika virus infection of a pregnant mother will lead to complications for the baby, as there has been a steep rise in Brazil in cases of microcephaly or too small of a head. A baby recently born in Hawaii to a mother who spent a month in Brazil while pregnant has the same condition. But now Brazil's doctors are noticing a number of cases of the rare Guillain-Barre syndrome, which causes one's immune system to treat one's nervous system as an infection resulting in paralysis. Aside from not traveling, doctors are pushing for home and local mosquito control measures. In Miami, Eben Brown, Fox News. Transgender athletes should be allowed to compete in the Olympics and other international events without going through gender reassignment surgery. That's according to new guidelines adopted by the IOC. International Olympic officials telling the AP they changed the policy to adapt to current scientific, social, and legal attitudes on transgender issues. Lisa LaSara, Fox News Radio. You are listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Well, welcome back to the second hour of the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Monday edition, getting after lefty. How many of you folks out there listen to Glenn Beck? How many of you folks out there have, uh, oh, I don't know, listen to him occasionally, all the time? You know, Gary Gatehouse used to listen to Glenn Beck quite extensively. I did. I used to listen to what he had to say. I listened to him and watched him when he was on Fox News. And a lot of the things Glenn Beck had to say back in those days, that as those things that were televised, were based on history. And he did a damn good job of tying history into present-day situations, uh, issues, etc. And he illustrated it with uh, pictures and quotes and, uh, and the whole nine yards. He made, that, he made it an interesting hour. When he left Fox News, I understand he was fired from Fox News. And he ventured off Fox News and started his own network, if you will, Blaze. Hung on to his radio show. And every once in a while when he was on the Blaze on television, I used to watch him. And he would sit there. And, of course, every once in a while the set design would change. And it would all everything would always be centered around Glenn Beck. Everything pointed to Glenn Beck. The Glenn Beck radio show, the Glenn Beck special, the Glenn Beck this, Glenn Beck that. Glenn Beck says this. If you ain't in the in the groove, Glenn Beck says you're not. You know the whole. You know what I'm saying. 
And he had these two dolts set on either side of him. When they were talking about an issue on the radio, a lot of times, I don't know which one it was or both, they would go into another voice. And they would talk and they'd start making fun of issues. They would try to make, oh, I don't know, light of what the issue was, even if it was serious. And uh, my wife and I looked at each other one day and we said, I'm sick of this crap. This is nothing but a three-ring circus. Somewhere along the line, I don't know when it happened, but Mr. Beck seemed to lose touch with reality in such a way that a lot of what he said, even in the last few weeks or few months, didn't make any sense. And one of the things I noticed he said when he signed on with Ted Cruz, that's his prerogative. I don't care. I don't give a damn who he backs. Glenn Beck, uh, whoever. But you know, he said on the campaign trail with Cruz, he said he had never endorsed a candidate before, but said the next president must be Lincoln and he must have to be Washington. I guess he meant that they have to be those two guys. They must have some characteristics of those two guys for him to back them. And he said, I have prayed for the next George Washington. I believe I've found him. Ted Cruz, I guess. Beck said of Cruz, he called Cruz's background a David and Goliath story. Now, Glenn Beck's endorsement of Cruz was as much a testimonial against Donald Trump. He told the crowd, now listen to this, folks, listen. He told the crowd, the chances of Donald Trump winning the nomination are a snowball in hell and decried the real estate moguls, strip clubs, and casinos. Went on to talk about all of that. He went on to say, Mr. Trump is saying over and over again on the road, I will make America great again. I will make America great again, Beck continued to say. That's not true, he said. It's not even possible. Each of us, as individuals living our own dreams, making our own way, charting our own course, that is what's making America great again. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that's a general statement. Sure, that's the way America believes. We all have our own dogs in the fight. We all believe that we in, are in charge, well, most of us anyway, are in charge of our own destiny, built on the dreams that we have put forward as goals to achieve. We all believe this, we who believe, we as uh, Christians, as conservatives, as uh, Americans, as patriots, we understand all of that. That's kind of the makeup of the DNA overall of America. Rugged individualism. But a lot of that rugged individualism has eroded over the years. A lot of it has been impugned, besmirched, and made fun of by the left and some on the right, uh, uh, the Republican Party. I guess you'd call that the right. They have stood up in front of God and everybody and told conservatives to butt the hell out, sit in the back of the room, shut your damn mouth, you don't count, you're nothing but a bunch of wacko birds, you cling to your guns and Bibles, and you're nothing, you're, you're nothing, you're, you're useless to the Republican Party. How many times have we heard the leadership of the Republican Party tell conservatives that we don't count? As a matter of fact, some of you have even made statements publicly that we conservatives are a threat to the Constitution and a threat to America. 
How can we conservatives continue to sit there and being smacked upside the head daily by people that we have cast our votes for decade after decade and they have thrown us under the bus? Now, when Beck said that Trump said, Trump said he was going to make America great again, and Beck said that's not true, it's not even possible, each of us as individuals leaving our own dreams make our own way. He knows damn well what he's saying. He knows damn well what Mr. Trump is saying. He's not saying, Mr. Trump's not saying, I'm going to control you, all of you in America, and I'm going to make it possible for you to do what I want you to do. I'm going to chart your way. I'm going to not allow you to make your own way. I'm charting your own way. And that's what's going to make America great. Donald Trump's going to make America great. Do you really believe that Donald Trump thinks that way? Do you really believe, honestly believe, that Donald Trump thinks he's going to come in there as President of the United States of America and dictate to the American people, down to the family, do as I do, do as I say, do it when I tell you to do it. I am a dictator, I'm in control, I'm a tyrant, and I will control America. I will make it great in the eyes of Donald Trump. Do you honestly think that? Do you honestly think a man like that would put his whole empire, if you will, his whole business empire that he built as an entrepreneur and a capitalist, do you honestly think that he would say those kinds of things, do those kinds of things, knowing damn well, he's a businessman now, knowing damn well if he did, he would put everything he worked hard over for over the decades in complete jeopardy worldwide. Do you understand where I'm coming from when I say that? Obviously, Glenn Beck doesn't. Obviously, Glenn Beck is pandering to Ted Cruz. Obviously, Glenn Beck has finally found a hero. And that's fine and good. Carry on, Mr. Beck. But don't get out there and spew that damn rhetoric, that mind psychic rhetoric that you're trying to spew out there because believe me, Mr. Beck, as a person who used to follow you because I believed in most of the stuff or some of the stuff you brought out and said and commented on over the years, I don't have any belief in you whatsoever anymore. You've lost it, brother. You've gone south. Some of your gray matter's fallen on the floor. Now, the other 21 dolts that signed on to the National Review the gang of 22, they're all dotes. Every one of them. And I believe me, you know, if you look at the list, it's not impressive. It's not impressive at all. It's just a bunch of East Coast liberal, uh, I guess, liberal thinking in some ways, conservatives, East Coast conservative thinking, talking people that think that they have the whole key to what a conservative is. And if you don't march to their drum then you're not a conservative. Look at them. Look at them, ladies and gentlemen. Not one of them that I can identify there have ever even served in the military. I might be wrong there. And I'm pretty sure that most military folks, past, present, veterans, etc., don't take a damn backseat to any of the stuff that these people, this gang of 22 says. 
We veterans know, we who most of us are conservative, that the Gang of 22 and what they said on that in our cover and inside of it, we know that these people, they don't hold any water when it comes to we conservatives. They just don't. They speak for those, I guess, who sign on to the way they look at things. But we conservatives out here in the flyover country, down south, us folks that make a living, not living, uh, a living going out and pimping the conservative political horrors out of D.C. We make a real living. And we don't take what the Gang of 22 says. We, we don't even take it with a grain of salt. This is Gary Gatehouse, and we'll be back after a few short messages. Hey, this is Gary Gatehouse, and you're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on Restoration Radio International, coming at you from across the pond in London, England. I'm Paulette Carlson. Do you really know what your child is doing right now? Caring parents just like you of 15,000 children who died of drug abuse and violence in the last six months thought they knew too. Working hand-in-hand with Vietnam Veterans of America, Veterans Against Drugs, through their Commitment to Life program, wants to put an end to drug abuse, violence, and the fear you have for your child's future. Please help me and other caring parents by visiting the Veterans Against Drugs website at bva.org. Well, here we are Monday, and it's getting uh, it's getting warm down here in Texas. It's probably about 68 degrees. Just a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. I wish you all was right here with me. I really do. You know, all you folks over in Europe, I was looking at some information, especially uh, I want to bring to attention of my mates over in uh, uh, England. I was looking at some statistics, and... Uh, they, they are alarming, to say the least. You know the Islamic future of a Britain? By the year 2050, Britain will be a majority Muslim nation. Britain is in denial. There is no real public debate on a historic event that is transform, transforming the country. The great country of England, of Great Britain. You know, mention of it occasionally surfaces in the media. But the mainstream political class never openly discuss it. Cameron didn't discuss it the other day when he was standing up there with that limp-wristed communist Muslim, Obama, on the television. They didn't talk about it. They didn't say a damn thing about it. They were too busy, Obama was, at least praising Islam. But the political class never openly discuss it. What is that historic event? By the year 2050, in a mere 37 years, Britain will be a majority Muslim country. Now, this projection is based on reasonably good data. Between 2004 and 2008, the Muslim population of the United Kingdom grew at an annual rate of 6.7%, making Muslims 4% of the population in 2008. Taking these figures into, into context would mean that the Muslim population in 2020 would be 8%. 15% in 2030, 28% in 2040, and finally in 2050, the Muslim population of the United Kingdom would exceed 50% of the total population. 
of Great Britain, of UK. Now, if you contrast those Muslim rates, birth rates, with the non-replacement birth rates of native Europeans, the so-called deathbed uh, demographic of Europe, for a society to remain the same size, the average female has to have 2.1 children, total fertility rate. For some time now, all European countries, including Britain, have all been well below that, below that rate of 2.1. The exception is Muslims. Muslims. From Native Americans, it seems that consumer culture has replaced having children as life's main goal. They're replacing children with little doggies and little cats. That's their children these days. These startling demographic facts have been available for some time now. I, I talked about them here a few shows back. And you can, you can go check them out on Muslim population rising ten times faster than the rest of society. Go look it up. The Times, Jan, uh, January 30th, 20, 2009. Go have a look. This was all the work of an Oxford demographer, David Coleman. But on this historic transformation of the country, there is a silence from the political establishment. They're not speaking out. They're not saying anything. Not everyone agrees with these demographic figures. Population projection, some say, is not an exact science. Perhaps the Muslim birth rate will drop to European levels. But you know, this seems to be wishful thinking. For years, it was believed that Muslims would either what is known as demographic transition, with European Muslim birth rates falling to a native European levels, but that demographic transition has not happened. In Great Britain, for example, the Pakistani and Bangladeshi communities continued to have significantly higher birth rates than the national average, even after more than 50 years in the country. I guess what I'm trying to say is, and I'm going to be called a racist for it, but like I said, I don't give a damn. Europeans started out as white, right? It was white folks. They started Europe. They founded it. They founded their countries. The, the, the histories there, thousands of years. They fought their wars. They died. They built countries. They built their uh, Communities after cities, white folks. I guess what I'm trying to say is, by the year 2050 in the UK, and I would imagine all over Europe as well, the white folks aren't going to be in charge anymore. The white folks are going to be at the back of the bus. The Muslims are going to be in charge. The Muslims are going to be telling you white folks, not in just Europe, but in America as well, they're going to be telling you, you better get your prayer rugs. You better sign on. We're in the majority now. And if you don't, well, we're just going to take care of business. But you know, many British people find it hard to believe their country could become majority Muslim. After all, it was never what they wanted, so why? Now, we don't want it, so I guess it'll not happen. But you know, in a democracy... Should it be happening? But we have had such disbelief before, back in the 60s and the 70s. Many people scoffed at the notion that London could ever be majority non-white. 
But today it is. Today it is. The fact is that the deathbed demographic of Native Britons has come up against increasingly Muslim birth rates, and the result is a classic geometric increase in the Muslim population. You know, folks, why has the Muslim birth rate not fallen off to Native levels? Just as there are maybe uh, cultural reasons for the low birth rates of Native Britons. There may be strong cultural reasons for high Muslim birth rates. But as you know, we bought into the zero birth rate here in America a long time ago. White folks did. And the same thing's going on here. The same thing's going on here. We have people from third world countries coming across our border illegally. Our government's welcoming them with both in, uh, welcome arms, giving them everything they need, all the transitional tools that they need, money, housing, free education, free health care, you name it, just like they do in, in Europe. And these third world countries, they're just going to overrun us. And the population of America, which is predominantly white today, is going to go away. And I have to ask the question, where are white people going to end up at? In Europe and in America. Servitude? Under the boot? Payback? Whatever. Is that where we're going to end up at? I think so. I think so. And the thing that really scares me, I'll be long gone. But my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, they're going to have to live under that. And one yard measure or measure you can look at to see just how Europe's going to be and just how America's going to be. And I said it the other day on my show. Go look at South Africa. Look at what white people are experiencing in South Africa, the Afrikaners. Go look at their life. Go look at how they live. Look at how they are oppressed. Look how they are beaten, raped, treated like dogs. Yet the white folks of Europe and the white folks of America, the news media, the journalists, they don't say a damn thing about it. But someday there's going to be a rude awakening for all of us, as they call us here in America, crackers or honkies, as pale-faced, pale-skinned individuals. There's going to be a rude awakening. And it's coming. Us folks in our 50s, 60s, and 70s won't see it probably. But your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will. They'll either have to assimilate and become something they're not. Oh, I don't know. Maybe their head will end up on a fence post. Maybe they'll be thrown in some uh, Muslim prison to rot away the rest of their life. Because we know how Muslims look at all people who are infidels. We know how they look at us. We know the word caliphate. We know what it means. And we know that their religion, as they call it, their political party or movement, disguised as a religion, as we know it, we who pay attention, we know what their bottom line is. 
is control of the world. And to bring everybody under the umbrella of Islam, under Sharia law. That is their bottom line. There is no gray areas. I don't care what politician tells you different. There is no gray areas. You got it? Either you're a Muslim or you're an infidel, period. And if you're an infidel, well, we've talked about it many times. What your plight will be in a Muslim-controlled city, state, country, world. Now, ladies and gentlemen of America, this has been a, uh, oh, I don't know, a show that has bounced around, and I've talked about many things today. And I've tried to direct my attention to both Europe and America. Because, believe me, we're all in the same boat. And you know that boat is floating in a very hostile sea. That boat that we're all in, whether we want to admit it or not, is a lifeboat. It's a lifeboat, not just for us, but for future generations of Europeans and Americans. And we as individuals, like I said last week, we individuals, as adults, in Europe and America, are caretakers of our countries, are caretakers of future generations that we will never see, never shake hands with, never hug, never kiss, never say hello to. Folks that have not been born yet in your country and mine. But we are responsible for the world that they will be born in. Will it be a world ran by Muslims? Will it be a world ran by Europeans and Americans? That, it, that remains to be seen. We won't see it. We'll only know when our time comes to take our last breath and close our eyes. We'll only know within our own minds if we have left things on the table the way they should be for future generations or we have turned our back on them and sold them out. Our politicians are already doing it. They're selling us out. They're selling our children out, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and future generations. They've already sold them out. They've already wiped the slate clean. And they've already let it be known to we people that are living today, us folks that want a good place for our children and future generations to be raised in and grow up in. They've already let it be known to us that we don't count. We don't count. It's the Muslims that count. It's the third world countries invading my country that counts. We folks that try to make a living bust our ass every day, working our ass off to pay our taxes and, and abide by the laws, we don't count. We have no voice. In Congress, in Parliament, wherever. We're just hunks of flesh. That the politicians look at us as somebody that they know that they can hoodwink, jostle around, promise this, promise that, to just get the vote, to keep their ass in power, and increase that power. 
because they got better things to do. They've got to they've got to make damn sure that the Muslims and these third world people that coming into my country, your country, they've got to take care of them because they are the future voters that will keep their ass in power. And every once in a while, the politicians look over their shoulder to see if we, the people of Europe and America, have had enough. Every, every, just, just every once in a while, they'll look over their shoulder and, and see what the uh, playing field looks like. Are there some agitators down there? Are there some people down there that are finally speaking out? Then they look back and they sit down in their chair and they light up a big old cigar or whatever and a big old drink and they say to themselves, Nah, I don't have to be worried. Those stupid bastards are still sitting down there swimming around in the swill not knowing what's really going on. We've got them by the short and curlies. You see, folks, the politicians, I don't care if they're in Europe, I don't care if they're in our country, the United States, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, they're all from the same cut of cloth. They look for ways... They devote a lot of their time looking for ways to fool the population, to fool their constituents, to hoodwink them, if you will. We all know, we who pay attention know, that the politicians could give a rat's behind about we the people, about the folks of Europe, about New Zealand, Australia, Canada, free peoples everywhere. They have but one mission in life keep their butts in power, and find and create new ways to hoodwink those people that keep voting them in. We'll be right back after our voice from South Africa with Ricky Rasmussen. She has some new information that I'm sure all of us here in America would like to hear. We'll be right back after her show. Hello again, this is Ricky with Our Voice, broadcasting from South Africa, and I am going to provide you with more information of the plights of South African citizens, and more specifically, white South African citizens. I am really grateful for the opportunity that Gary Gatehouse provided me with to share with you our voice. And yes, it is not a very good story to tell, but then we also have to deal with the negative things in life to have a better life. Now, nothing is so often irretrievably missed as a daily opportunity. And every day is an opportunity to make a new happy ending. Now, the purpose of this broadcast is to share our problems with the world in the hope that we may get help. But in that process, it's also important to realize that the best helping hand that you will ever receive is the one at the end of your own arm, according to Fred Denner. 
Even though we realize that we have to help ourselves, we cannot let go of the um, help that we may get from Europe and or the United States of America. We know that the ANC government came into power as a result of the help from Western countries, um, Europe and the United States of America and Asian countries and African countries. Now we know that there's no African country that will help us in South Africa or helping the law-abiding citizens or the whites in South Africa or the minorities. So we will have to look at European countries and the United States of America. I also do not think that we will get any assistance from Asian countries. I dealt with the problems we have with President Jacob Zuma and unfortunately he never stops doing the wrong things. Because I dealt with the Nkanda problem the last time. There's the spy tape saga, the Marikana massacre and many other things and while we were still waiting for President Jacob Zuma to address the uh, opposition parties in Parliament um, about the spy tape saga and about Nkanla, we had another major incident in South Africa. Those of you keeping up with world news will know that I'm talking about the President al-Bashir incident. Bashir was indicted in 2009 by the ICC for alleged genocide and war crimes in Darfur. Approximately 400,000 people died in this conflict and 2.5 million people have been displaced. Now, last week, the African Union had its summit here in Johannesburg, South Africa, and President Al-Bashir was one of the honoured guests of President Zuma, taking into account that he tormented Sudan for 26 years and there is a warrant out for his arrest by the ICC. One cannot understand how our government welcomed this man as an honoured guest in South Africa. Justice Malala for the Guardian Africa Network said, Something much greater than just South Africa's reputation as a human rights leader on the African continent died on Monday. When Sudan's President Omar al-Bashir was allowed to escape the country in a private jet, in defiance of a domestic court order and international law, Nelson Mandela's democracy stood in solidarity with the big men of the African Union, who have declared the International Criminal Court a racist organization that targets Africans for trial. Now, there was an application to the High Court in Pretoria um, on Sunday. It was an urgent application um, before Judge Fabricius on the 14th of June 2015. And the judge ordered that the government should ensure that Bashir could not leave the country. The order was also served on all ports of exit, or supposed to be served. 
Now, I'm sure that the applicant did its work and saw to it that all ports were served with this order. Lo and behold, the Sudanese president was apparently escorted to Waterkloof Military Airport on Monday the 15th of June, where he took off at about quarter to 12 Monday morning. At this point in time, the court was still in sitting and hearing the application um, of the applicant, and counsel representing the government, Advocate Mukari, said to the full bench, bench being the Judge President Malambu, Deputy Judge President Ladwaba and Judge Fabricius, that the government has no idea where Bashir is and whether he left or not. Now, I believe that was a total lie. After lunch, he informed the court that Bashir has left whereupon the court made an order that the government must report back within seven days on the circumstances of Bashir's departure and defiance of a court order. Now, if one take into account that South Africa is a signatory to the Rome Statute through which the ICC was established, then one can't understand are they elected to side with African leaders or countries that criticize the ICC as targeting only African countries? The ANC said on Sunday, the ICC is no longer useful for the purposes for which it was intended, being a court of last resort for the prosecution of crimes against humanity. Now, one don't understand this because they, it is common knowledge that there are still a big problem with crimes against humanity in mostly African states. It is, however, clear that um, they only want justice when it is for themselves and not for others and or for citizens. Justice Malala continues to reflect on the conduct of government and state. The authorities have refused the Dalai Lama a visa to enter South Africa at the invitation of Archbishop Desmond Tutu and other Nobel laureates at least three times at the behest of China, with whom South Africa has signed a 10-year agreement pledging political mutual trust and strategic coordination. So our president has no problem to spurn a Nobel laureate and welcome a dictator. And one may say, throwing a blind eye and or assisting him to flee the country when the warrant, uh, when, when, when the government was ordered to arrest him on the ICC warrant. Justice Malala further said, Robert Mugabe accused of the murder of thousands of his own citizens in the 1980s and the torture of many more in the 2000s was wined and dined on a state visit here a few months ago. And South Africa defended Bashir since the ICC issued its first warrant for his arrest in 2009 under the guise of building ties with the African Union. The effect of the above is that the South African government has broken its own laws and acted in defiance of a court order.
By protecting Bashir and allowing him to escape, our government has openly taken sides with Africa's tyrants and disregarded the human rights violations and rights of the victims. Our government placed themselves above the law and our constitution. In view of the fact that whites in South Africa are also not fully protected by our constitution, we are not really surprised that citizens of other African countries does not count. I can maybe understand the criticism of the ICC, but to ignore a High Court order from our own judiciary or the government's judiciary, it is clear for anyone with two brain cells that we, whites and all minorities, and even citizens of South Africa does not, who does not vote for the ANC, have a serious problem as long as the ANC remains in control of South Africa. We need a miracle and definitely assistance from Europe in the USA. And I, I want to state that if we do not get help from Europe or the USA, they can also be regarded as siding with these tyrants who has only their own rights um, at heart and who doesn't care a dime for any of the citizens. Against this background, we can understand why we have so many problems in South Africa. We are faced with problems on all um, aspects of our lives. It is not only violent crime, but there's also corruption. There's the flagrant disregard of human rights, the flagrant disregard of the rule of law, incompetence, extremely, extremely high um, uh, problems with incompetence, looting of the state coffers, unemployment and poverty. And when one takes into account the unemployment and the poverty and one looks at the enormous amounts of money that are stolen or that are wasted on corrupt tendering processes or just um, due to incompetence, lost due to incompetence, then it makes you really sick. The high incidence of crime in South Africa is still also a very big problem. I read that the Institute for Economics and Peace, Global Peace Index, put South Africa among the lowest ranking countries worldwide in terms of peace, stability, homicide, societal safety, and a few other determining factors. Apparently, South Africa slipped 14 places on the global peace ranking from position 122 to position 136. Now that is really a cause for concern. South Africa has the eighth highest murder rate. The international murder rate is six to a hundred thousand people. For South African citizens, it is 31 to a hundred thousand. For South African police, it is 54 to 100,000. But for farmers in South Africa, it is 133 to 100,000. Now, if 
that is not a cause for concern and apparently, well, it is not concern for our government because they do nothing about it, um, then it is clear that we as citizens of South Africa will have to stand up, will have to keep on talking about this and um, share this information all over until somebody comes to our assistance. They have compared the murder statistics from 1995 to 1994, about 7,036 people have been murdered in a year. For the period 1994 to 2003, it was an average of 24,206 per year. That is three times more than pre-1994. The brutal murders on whites by blacks have soared in 2015 in comparison to 2001, April 2001, April 2002 and April 2003. In April 2001, five were killed on farms, two men and three women. In 2002, eight, four men and four women, of which two were an Indian couple, and in 2003, three were killed on farms, and they were all three men. On the 22nd of April 2015, there were already 20 black-on-white murders. In May 2015, 22 whites were murdered by blacks, and since 1994, more than 85,000 whites were brutally attacked, slaughtered by blacks. In the past week, Thursday from um, Thursday the 11th of June 2015 to the 18th of June 2015, there were 10 farm attacks. Now, I'm not going to deal with each of those attacks. I just want to share three with you. In the Brits area, it is close to Pretoria, a 71-year-old male and a 40-year-old male was tortured and dragged around in the felt on their farm. Van Wyk, the younger man, was shot in the leg and the 71-year-old male was nearly killed when a sword was pushed down his throat. Now, isn't that absolutely horrendous? The old man said that he really does not want to live anymore, even though he survived this attack. An elderly man was hacked to death. Sorry, a, a woman, elderly woman, was hacked to death on a farm outside Pretoria where she lived on her own. This is a constant problem. Every day you look at the news or you look at Twitter or Facebook to see if there had been a murder or an attack again. And this is just the most um, violent crimes that I'm referring to. But it's only the tip of the iceberg. We don't hear about everything.
because every attack in a neighborhood, for instance, will not always come to our ears or eyes. I believe that if we have all the statistics, the entire ANC government can be charged before the ICC because they totally disregard the problem in South Africa. And I don't even want to begin to think how many black-on-black attacks, murders, violent crimes there are. We've heard now in the past week of the terrible incident um, where Dylan Roof killed nine people, a 21-year-old white male who apparently is um, apparently admitted that he wanted to start a racial war. Now, he killed nine people, and every media the world over report about this incident. Now, people, I do not have a problem with the fact that they report this. But what about the 10 farm attacks in South Africa in one week? What about the 22 murders in one month? What about all the other attacks by black on white in South Africa in this year alone? Do we ever see the international media reporting about this? I don't think so. If you know of any, I will appreciate if you can forward it through to me. Another thing about these attacks on farms and in town is the fact that it's mostly aged people that are the victims. People of 75, 80, 67, 65, 60. It's hardly ever that you find that people below 40 is being attacked. It, it, one, one gets the impression that all our old people are targeted because they are soft targets. And that is really a sad, sad situation. I want to prepare a report on the, on the um, attacks by black on whites in South Africa to try and determine what the uh, reason for these attacks are and to see if there's, there's a, 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 it's clear in most instances that it is racially motivated. But there's also a big chance that it can be orchestrated by someone who can possibly gain from killing all the whites. Now then we're back to genocide. And it is therefore not so far-fetched to think that um, these attacks on our people are um, carefully planned um, by South Africans, or outsiders, or with the help of outsiders, we don't know. There's already been rumors that Zimbabwean citizens has been sent to assist with the killing of um, South African whites. Through Waboso, I have also asked farmers to um, consider 
the possibility of taking in um, homeless or um, unemployed whites on their farms. Firstly, to um, hike up the security, because if there are more people, it's less likely that an attacker will attack. And also to empower our people and to share the um, farmer skills with these unemployed people. Um, even our young people just finishing school can be helped in this way. So maybe any of you know a farmer who can help, please share the message. Or if you know of any white person who has been attacked by a black, also share the message so that I can get the information and which can enable me to compile this report and to help our unemployed and our homeless white people. I have said it before and I want to repeat it, please send me an email with your thoughts, with your suggestions or anything that you think which can help us here in South Africa. My email is Ricky, R-I-E-K-I-E at Weboso W-E-B-O-S-O dot org. Ricky at Weboso dot org. If you miss it, you can also look on Facebook for Weboso, W-E-B-O-S-O dot org, and you will find all my details there. Thank you, folks, for listening in, and enjoy your day. You've been listening to Our Voice South Africa with Ricky Rasmussen on the Gary Gatehouse radio show. We'll be right back after a few short messages. Dogs of War Radio. You're home. You served your country with honor. Now it's time to strike out on a new path forward. You're a veteran. You set the standard for character, integrity, leadership. And you've gained valuable skills. Skills employers are looking for. At jobcenter.usa.gov, you can get access to personalized services and the support you need to find the perfect career. This is U.S. Navy and Marine Corps veteran Monta Williams saying, visit an American job center today and discover your next opportunity of a lifetime. You gotta take care of Texas. It's the only one we got. If you're way up and love them, look them down and look them by. You gotta conserve water, keep the air clean. Take care of Texas. Don't you know what I mean, y'all? Kevin Fowler here. Texans take great pride in keeping our air clean. Visit TakeCareOfTexas.org and take the pledge to help keep it that way. We'll send you a free Texas State Park Guide. You gotta take care of Texas. It's the only one we got. Sponsored by the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. You know, folks, before we close the show today, I just want to pass on an observation I've made over a long period of time. And observations I've made of liberals in the workplace, of liberals in society today, whether they be on television, just 
your average liberal, whatever. Liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call them, are children in adult clothes. They really are. They seem like they never will grow up to accept the responsibilities of adulthood. They refuse to accept that they are supposed to make their own decisions, make their own way. They are constantly presenting themselves as perpetual victims. Liberals will be the first to tell a conservative that liberalism is where it is at. Those who sign on to liberalism are all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring, most educated people in America. And they are already, are already to sign on to any lame-brained idea that comes along, as long as it furthers the religion of socialism. Socialists disguised as liberal communists, disguised as progressives, and they are all ready to spin your money, America, ready to spend your money to further their causes. And all I have to say to most Americans, all of us patriots that work hard for a living, all of us patriots that pay our income taxes, all of us patriots that are working just to put food on the table for our kids, ourselves, our house payments, car payments, wake up, America. Liberals, these people, Marxists, socialists, communists, progressives, who are to the left of conservatism, are dangerous. They are in many cases overeducated, taught by communist Marxist professors who indoctrinate, not teach. Wake up, America. We are paying for the destruction of our own country. Every day, we do not stand up to this ungodly movement called liberalism is another day where a chunk of America is hacked out by these people, these godless people, and America, another chunk of America, as we know it, is destroyed. This year, host Gary Gatehouse, Monday edition. I hope you have a great day. Be careful. And the Gary Gatehouse radio show will be talking to you again come Wednesday. Until then, this is Gary Gatehouse saying, Good day.